Welcome to Reading for Attention, the weekly podcast where me, Paul, and me Bessie mate Sarah chat about a recent book whilst drinking a carefully selected beverage. Now, why have we committed to reading a book every single week and talking about it in a public forum? Well, the same reason me and Sarah do anything in life, for attention. I've had the biggest stress on trying to get this Zoom appointment <laughs> scheduled. A stress on. A stress on. <laughs> Sounds like a hard on through stress. I know. That's what I'm thinking. Oh. You know what the Geordie word is that Michael's mom says all the time? What? Lathered. Lathered. Like, yeah, like so... lathered. Well, I thought that, but no, lathered means like hot and bottom, like in a fluster. Ah. Oh. It was absolutely lathered. Let's just check that that's right, actually. I'm going to start using that. Lathered Geordie slang. Sometimes when I'm at the theatre and people say things to me that are like, I don't know how to respond to, they'll be like, the toilet queue is too long. And obviously I can't do anything about that. So I just, I've got into the habit of just going, yeah, no, and then walking <laughs> off. <laughs> Isn't it just? Bye. Uh, but I, I put and I, I affect a Geordie accent because I think I get more respect for it. Oh yeah, we're definitely yeah. a more respected uh, brand of people. So anyway, I'm <laughs> lathered because oh, just none of the laptops work. It's a boring story. But my computer keeps telling us that it doesn't have a hard drive, which I know is not true. <laughs> yeah, like listen, it's been hard its whole life. <laughs> yeah, I know you've got a hard drive, babe. And then I fucking logged into Michael's laptop, and it looked like the scene from you know. American Beauty with the plastic bag like that was the, that was the vibe my face was half cut off it looked on a high eight camera yeah it was just fucking <laughs> is it not super eight what did I say <laughs> high eight <laughs> it is super eight <laughs> high eight <laughs> hey, bloody hell but I'm here now that. thank god I mean maybe you're right but I just no it is super eight Let's see if there's any such thing called a high eight. H. Oh, there's a movie called High Eight. Oh my god, there is something called a high eight, but it's a um, it's a video cassette for camcorders. Oh, so maybe you put a high eight into a super eight. Maybe hmm. more research needed. Um, we'll get back to you. Yes, how have you been? It's bank holiday for me, but uh, your silly, silly Scotland. Well, no, everyone in Scotland still has it. It's just my um, my work that doesn't. Eh, why though? I don't know. I don't know, Paul. We're getting I don't know. there's more coming as well. So you no, I can't think about drop it. Drop in. We're getting the queenie weenie one. Because every Sunday night when I get into bed at eight pm, ready for my work week from hell, <laughs> I go through everyone's Instagram stories and they're all out on the lash. And I think, I'm like, what's going on here? And then it says twenty two minutes ago. And I think, oh, right, they've all just got another fucking day off there. Am I the only one that works around here? I feel like Kim Kardashian and Molly May. You are just <laughs> pissing your lives away. I'm grinding. I'm absolutely fine with it. Yeah, no, I'm jealous. What have I been up to? On Friday, I went to see Jinx Monsoon. Oh, my God, yeah. How was that? Fabulous, really fabulous. At one point, she mentioned Lawrence Cheney, who, mm. as we all know, won RuPaul's Drag Race UK. And there was this big woo behind me, like in the row behind me. And I thought, oh, they must know Lawrence Cheney because obviously it was in Edinburgh. Turned around, it was only bloody Lawrence Cheney. Oh, was it? Yeah, it was. And then, um, and then on Saturday, I went and saw James Blake live. With... Was that good? Yeah, it was. It was really good. I can't quite understand how the it, like he'll just talk. He's a normal bloke. He's like, all right, because I went to go and see him in Glasgow. So he's like, all right, Glasgow, you know how's it going? And then I'd be like, well, the only song I know by him is just before I lost It's like a Johnny Mitchell cover. It's really good. Yeah, he loves it. He loves a cove. And he was, and he was, yeah, really fabulous. He was wearing a bright blue Fruit of the Loom tracksuit, though, which okay. I think could be quite fit. But then also, is it that, is it the whole like pandemic of people, the middle class trying to pretend that they're working class? I don't know. Fruit of the Loom's very working class vibes, like. And he and was that... giving big working class vibes. It, I, and only... then he'd be like, thanks for having me, Glasgow. Like wearing a monocle as well. Um, (laughs) 
I only, I'd say this year or late last year, understood Fruit of the Loom. What, uh, what's the to misunderstand about well, Fruit I've of the Loom? Well, I just never thought about the fact that the Fruit of the Loom is clothes. Holy fucking shit, I've just got it. <laughs> oh, you bastard. You lured me in then. You knew, you knew I wasn't going to know. Oh my God, it's Fruit oh of the Oh my God. Room. And is it a play on Fruit of the Womb as well? I don't know. Probably. Like, Probably. And blessed is the Fruit of Thy Womb, Jesus. Gob. Smack. That is whoever has founded Fruit of the Loom is a fucking genius. Absolutely anyway, ledge. I would. I uh, saw that with. Uh, I saw him with friends. David, who we know is an avid listener. David, David avid. the avid. <laughs> avid. Oh, oh, avid David. <laughs> Old avid David, uh, listener of to the podcast. Georgie, Becky, and Owen, who has requested a shout out. So here it is. Shout out to Owen. Shout out to you, Oe. <laughs> it's spelled weirdly sorry it's spelled like on quick it's maybe weirder it's spelled like yowin ah yeah quick was more of an yohan yogahan <laughs> yeah yogahan <laughs> yogahan quen oh, oh not quin quig did i say quin or quig it's friggin quig it is quig i'd call him quiggy my mom and dad used hmm. to no. My mom and dad know this man called Keith Wiggum, and he is a wig maker. Shut and his up. nickname is Wiggy. <laughs> Isn't that ridiculous? I thought um, they called him Wiggy because he made wigs, but his name is Wiggum. The person that used to own Shoe Zone surname was Foot, and then the person <laughs> who bought it, the person who bought it off him surname is Boot. <laughs> You've told us that before. I'm not because I just learned it. 10 oh, minutes really? Ago. Oh, yeah, when I was waiting. Move away from the mic a little bit. How was your weekend? Lovely. Stayed at Izzy's on Saturday when I was in Romford. Yeah, so Izzy made us an extremely strong drink just before we went out, which in hindsight, well, made the night cheap. <laughs> but it was just fabulous. Very, very salt of the earth night out bit of slug and lettuce that kind of thing and yes did at izzy's and then yesterday i was out in kennington at the cock tavern nope. it's really good really but remind good. me of the cock later on the one in tottenham court road you can do it now but it's to do with the book oh okay okay mm-hmm. i'll remind you of big fat cocks later on Oh, yes, please. Although you don't need to remind me. I know. No. <laughs> they never leave the mind. Uh, right. Shall we kick off with this book and this drink? I'm going to fucking kick off. Yeah, go on. So the book this week is, I'm going to try my best not to do a Scottish accent, is Young Mungo by Douglas Stewart, which is a book about a boy called Mungo, as, as in St. Mungo who grows up in a housing estate in Glasgow and he is coming to terms with his sexuality and meets this boy who is like a pigeon keeper called James. Mungo's Protestant, he's Catholic, very Romeo and Juliet vibes. And basically it's about toxic masculinity in Glasgow. So Mungo has a brother called Hamish who is a drug dealer and very much a known hard man. And he very much wants to keep up that reputation. And therefore, Mungo is supposed to do that. But he's a very sweet-natured boy. His sister, Jodie, is kind of like his mother. She's only a couple of years older, but the mother's an alcoholic. And she goes from kind of guy to guy. And she's not really in the house all the time. Uh, It jumps back and forward in time. So we start with Mungo with these two older alcoholic guys going on a fishing trip. The three of them. So it's like, what the hell? I don't understand why this is why this is happening it's not really until near the very end well where, where you find out why this has happened but then it also um talks it also tells the story of mungo meeting james the pigeon keeper man boy 16 mm-hmm. yeah and well just about falling in love basically so that's the gist of it and what we're drinking is a vodka nine brew that's the only time i'll do the accent <laughs> and i always forget how much i enjoy iron brew Oh, it's gorgeous. So gorgeous, nice. Gorgeous, what is yeah. it? Don't ask me. It's like, what's Coke? No one knows. I know. It's bright orange and stunning. So yeah, that's it. Exactly. It'll say on the back what fruit juices are involved, but it reckon? won't taste. Yeah, but it won't taste of any of them. So let's have a look. Um, 
Oh, do you know what it's just got here? Sugar. Colours. Sunset yellow. <laughs> Sunset yellow. It's definitely orange, famously. It's Yeah, it's really, 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 really orange. I don't know orange. if it could be more orange, if it tried. Um, all right, okay, I was wrong. There is absolutely no mention of fruit apart from... Nope, that's it. So, so it's yeah, just, just colouring and sugar. Delish. Yeah. Oh, more, more, more. Fucking love an iron brew. Iron brew gets you through. Oh, yes. And I should also say that Douglas Stewart wrote Shuggy Bane, which mm. won the Booker a couple of years ago. Yeah, in 2020. Yeah, so that was his first novel. This is his sophomore, if you like. Oh, that's for the American fans Whoa. out there. This is a sophomore book. Mm-hmm. So, Sarah Hoppo, tell me what you thought. I think if you're listening to this podcast right now and you are writing a book, you're a writer and you're writing a book, um, put down the pen, <laughs> close the word document, don't save changes and give up. <laughs> because in my opinion, Paul, <laughs> the most perfect book has been written. I no, I know that I gush about a book once every four weeks on this podcast. <laughs> but this is if you if you only read one more book this year, next year, for the rest of your life, make it young Mungo. I can't wrap my head around it. I've had the shakes since I finished it. Mm. I've just never and I think it's a bit of a shame because the reception of it is a bit of a shame I mean obviously in Scotland it is everywhere it's plastered everywhere like I've got a signed version I think if you bought one in Scotland you would get a signed version a couple of weeks ago actually he was doing um Douglas Stewart was doing talks in Edinburgh and Glasgow and kind of mainly the central belt but I missed out um so you can't really move for Douglas Stewart but I know that a lot of people are kind of anxious about reading Young Mungo because Shuggy Bane was so heartbreaking so like it destroyed people um and while it's very 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 similar this is I think Miles better I think he is found well I mean he probably can't write another one in this exact same kind of style um because otherwise it will just be too similar but I think he's really found his stride with this one and it's just I just thought it was perfect I actually don't have a single fault with it. Oh, Sarah. So what, tell us what you liked about it then. I loved Mungo. Oh, I mean, he was just so precious. I know. And you just wanted to protect him. And that is the feeling that he really, really, really goes for is that in this incredibly toxic, masculine like environment in early 90s, Glasgow in complete poverty there's this young sweet boy who's not that bright and who doesn't have anyone to love him really and but has all of this love inside of him and it's just so from the beginning you just I would have died for Mungo Mm -hmm. I just absolutely loved him and I think the power of the writing wasn't necessarily in the setting or anything like that even though it's so obvious that this is part lived experience and so it's so it, it feels so accurate that it's like almost relatable even though I know that most people haven't grown up in you know um a scheme in Glasgow scheme that was the word that I was trying to but remember at the end of last episode scheme yes scheme um but there's this sort of because it's so realistic and so obviously authentic there is just this relatability that you can pull from it or that this empathy that you can have with the characters and all of them despite that the, the fact that they're all flawed as humans are you love all of them and you try and you want the best for them and you try and see the best in them and you don't want them to and and I say this a lot about characters when you you know they make a mistake and it's how easily you kind of forgive that mistake but these ones it's I didn't even see the mistakes that they were making because I guess part of that lifestyle is that you don't have a choice but to make decisions that in an ideal world you wouldn't you wouldn't have to make um so it's just like oh I I don't know I just loved the characters I thought they were so well-rounded and perfectly realized 
and and it is a, like I said, it's a really similar setup to Shuggy Bane, and there's the three kids and the sort of studious middle sibling and the young soft one who's um, not really struggling, but you know is concealing their sexuality, and then the old hard one, and then the mother who is an alcoholic and is. I mean, in Shuggy Bane, Agnes is much more present, and actually, it could almost be just as much about her as it is about Shuggy, but. In Young Mungo, Moma, um, the mum is kind of this character that drifts in and out of these light of these children's lives, and oh, I don't know. I think it was just the characters. How it was one. It was one of those rare books. I think they become more rare the older that you get. If you read that, when I was away from it, I like yearned for it. I was like, oh, I need to know what Mungo's doing and how he's getting on. And then also the pacing of it, I thought was perfect. In that, it is this dual timeline. We start in the present day or like a yeah we start in the present day and then interspersed sort of as in his present day because it's Mungo's present day it's sorry yeah, in the early 90s isn't it early 90s yeah um and then we go back to Mungo in maybe like a month previously and then it's this build-up throughout so then the two sort of narrative timelines come together at the end in a big old crescendo and I don't know. I don't know. Whereas, whereas Shuggy Brain is a little bit more um, like like full circle in narrative. This was a bit more linear. And I think I do prefer, I do like a circular narrative, but um, I think this just, this just worked so, so well. And the, I've got a quote. I've got the actual book, so it's harder to highlight passages. But I've got a quote which I'll read later on about the toxic masculinity in Glasgow, and like because there are these things that the characters do that are so unforgivable in in like our current society where we sit almost on like a bit of a pedestal where we've got all of this information available to us. So it feels like you've said maybe last week or the week before, like we were all kind of uh, have these quite entitled opinions, but then act completely the opposite in secret and. There, are, there isn't any of that like knowledge with this book so people act entirely as they actually believe and it's not agreeable in any way but you can understand the flaws of these people to, and and it just makes them all the more lovable yeah yeah what did you think <laughs> I'm still recovering because I just finished it today and I read a lot of it today I read 30 percent of it mm. so I was reading for hours and God, it really, really gets you. It really hurts your heart. And what did I like about it? It's tough, that question. I know. I th- I definitely characters. And I also really liked the setting. It, it was felt like a, mm. a, like a family saga. And I think what was really impressive about it was that it's actually only set in a tiny, tiny part of Glasgow. And then they move to different parts of Scotland and or he'll kind of go on his bike with James like I'm guessing a few miles away and it's just like he's seeing this whole other world and it makes it feel quite big like even though we're just on this tiny scheme like you can really feel Scotland and it just makes you realize and understand that some people's existences are no more than a few streets I remember when I was working in Hastings they talked about the Tesco triangle because the lots of these kids were going to school, Tesco home. And that was the only three places that they ever went yeah. so that their lives were just in that triangle. And it me it without any context of anything else, life becomes something different. And you, you really are stuck within the constraints of this particular tiny part of society. And in mm-hmm. Mungo society, masculinity is extremely important yeah for reputation for work because a lot of them are you know doing manual jobs and Mungo just doesn't have it and that makes his life an impossibility there's no way out he's not clever enough to go to university like Jody is he's not strong like Hamish where he can just you know keep a reputation by basically scaring people there's Mm -hmm. no place for him in this scheme and then he falls in love with this boy who's in a similar position and it's just beautiful, like the way that they describe each other's bodies and the way they explore each other's bodies. And James is apparently quite fit, but has big sticky out ears. And <laughs> Mungo looks at the skin, the red skin behind his big sticky out ears where the light's coming through. And he says, oh, my God, I could cry. He says something like, I th- like, I wish I'd I wish I'd taken a picture. It's something like, I think it's quite special 
Mungo thinks it's quite special that he's probably the only person in the world who loves that part of his ear. <laughs> and oh, who's just... seen who's seen behind that bit of his yeah like, in that bit of his skin. Oh my yeah. god, yeah. And it's just those feelings when you're falling in love. And there's but then there's some really cruel ironies, and they are ironies in this book. Adject yeah. <laughs> without giving too much away. But there's there's certainly a parallel between the three days he spends with these alcoholics and the three days he spends with James, quite specifically. Mm-hmm because James's dad works away on the rig so he's actually got a bit of money and that means that Mungo and James can be together in his house but he has three days specifically where they basically fall in love and and act as if they're boyfriends for three days he actually calls them his girlfriend and then there's other ironies in in forcing Mungo to be masculine they actually put him in terrible danger and and terrible things ensue with Mungo unbeknownst to anyone else and they'll never know and it's because they wanted him to be a man it's just it just shows the futility of and the the artifice of gender and you know how dangerous it can be to stick to all of these traditions I suppose Mm. but I mean yeah it was beautiful and and one thing I'd say about characters is he doesn't I would say that Douglas Stewart doesn't really challenge the stereotype of different people so he's not saying for example Mungo's mother is an alcoholic and she neglects her children and that is undeniable she does do that she she lots of the kids in this place need to would be put in care if if they would had seen what they were like and then Hamish is a massive bully like there's no there's no doubt in that there's no denying it and what he's challenging are like you mentioned like you said the the situation the circumstances under which these stereotypes thrive because what is the mother going to do she had a baby at 16 or whatever mm-hmm. the a partner died she's an alcoholic she's got no money like what what do you want her to do you know yeah. she's supposed to be this doting mother maybe yes but she's not and that's the way it is yeah there was a, a, a again I can't say what it is but there's a there's a moment where I was really disappointed in one of the characters by the way that they reacted or what their actions I know exactly who yeah and I wasn't expecting it and but then it makes you realize again ah no matter what person what kind of person you are no matter how good you might be you're still in your own circumstances you're still completely your product of that environment entirely where and and this character has no other frame of reference when it comes to Mm -hmm. gay people essentially so What, what do we expect? How do we expect this person to react? Um, and then just one more character I just need to shout out is Poor Wee Chicky. I knew you. <laughs> I Aww. fucking loved Poor Wee Chicky, who Me is too. basically this old guy, old gay guy who lives on the scheme. And but he, not as old as he not as old as he likes to pretend that he is. Yes, yes. Um and He's basically being labelled a paedophile because he's gay and mm-hmm. a weirdo. And what do they call him? A bachelor, but in, in a derogatory sense. Yeah. And he knows that that's what everybody thinks of him and he's never going to be able to change that. But he seems to be quite happy. And there's a yeah. lovely exchange with Mungo and Pua Weecheki towards the end of the book where he learns a little bit more about him. And he's just the sweetest man who has had a really fucking hard life. Mm-hmm. and has res- kind of resigned to the fact that this is he made some mistakes and he didn't probably pursue the paths that he wishes he had but it hasn't taken the kindness out of him it hasn't he's not bitter he's just I really oh god I'm I'm talking about them like they're real people I really want to go to poor wee chicky's exactly. house and pet his whip it I think <laughs> what's it called Natalie Natalie I'll Natalie it the dog <laughs> Um, I think it was the one of the a, re- a really successful part of it was the narrative style because I was trying to think about where I would place it in terms of it, it's third person, but it's really close to Mungo and or in some ways in that it's it is almost naive, but then in another way it's almost it's almost giving us the things that Mungo sees, but knowing that we're going to join the dots, and so it has this sort of like it's almost secretive. And like, for instance, it's never outwardly stated that um, poor wee chicky is gay, 
but just the way that the narrator like hints at the subtleties around his character and then eventually we go into poor wee Chicky's flat and he has five deadbolts on the door and so and that's stuff that Mungo would pick up and and also knows because of like knows from whispers of like gossiping mothers on the estate um and that we're and we are much more knowledgeable than Mungo is so we've got this kind of understanding of what's happening the same way that the same way that Mungo does Mungo can piece these things together but he's a little bit slower with it and then every now and then the narration would dip into kind of omniscience when it would be like it would give you a little sprinkling of like what could potentially happen in the future because like what you were saying earlier about like where does he have to go if he doesn't fit into this really strict mold that is laid out for him where does he have to go and the worst part about that is that he can't imagine anything else so it's not even that mm-hmm. you know he can daydream his way out of this place mungo knows absolutely nothing else and it isn't the way that you would sort of imagine it now if you, if you were in that situation where you would be like, you know, you could escape in different in different ways because he can't. He's in poverty and he doesn't have the education and he doesn't have the support. He has absolutely no escape from this place, the least of all being his imagination, his imagination. And we, so we sort of do that for him. And also the narrator sometimes does that as well. And like there's a little bit towards the end when it's going through the three siblings and sort of almost prophesizing what is going to become of them and it's kind of like predictable but then also not and it's but it but it's still really like it's almost short-circuited because still there isn't there isn't room for this dream to even fully be imagined let alone blossom let alone be pursued yeah you're right I mean he's not even been to the west end of Glasgow exactly never mind you and know. he can't imagine it like you can't no. how can you imagine it when you've not seen anything yeah and then that brief the, the brief moment where he does get to leave his scheme with James on the back of his bike and the way that he sees this yeah. like new wonderland as if it's a fairy tale it's probably a 15 minute drive from his house and I've had this conversation I, th- I don't know if I've had it on the podcast but I've spoke I've had this conversation with Michael before about LGBT people maybe not so much anymore but maybe maybe still a lot of the time that is the thing that moves you away from where you're from so in a place like that where okay I I mean take Newcastle there'll be places in Newcastle where people don't leave as much like if they're from Newcastle they'll stay in Newcastle so imagine that like you're on an estate similar to the one that Mungo lives on then it's just generations and generations and generations of people living there until somebody who is gay, for example, who can't survive in that place as in the way that they are. Mm -hmm. They are kind of then displaced from that area and start a new life elsewhere. And in a way, I don't know if this is too making too much of it, but I think that's nice that LGBT people are moving away from the places that like to, to start elsewhere and to bring that culture elsewhere and, like mm-hmm. and it yeah. wouldn't happen I like I'm you know my, my brother lives in London now too but I always wondered like if I hadn't been gay not that I was in a terrible position or anything but I think there's there's definitely an element of like let's get out of where I was bullied at school for example let's get out of this situation that like, there's lots yeah. of trauma associated with it let's move and I always yeah. I wonder like oh would I have done that if I hadn't been gay I don't know yeah I wonder if this is a point worth making or it's not really even a point but you know how there was one character who, if you'd have thought about it, not as though you'd known them, but as though you'd just known their situation. So you have one character who hadn't responded in the way that you wanted them to, but then you think about that situation and you're like, actually, that is exactly how I expected them to respond. It's yeah. not what I wanted. At the very end, yes. one character behaves exactly how you would expect them to. Mm-hmm. You know which bit I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, I do. And what happens? And I have never, I mean, the whole, like la- the, the last two chapters of the book, I was, I had my hand over my mouth because it is, mm. the whole book balances on a knife edge. It's like desperation, hope, love, despair, like, and you're never, ever sure which way it's going to teeter. And it comes right down to the very end with it. Mm-hmm. And as much as this book is this complete, that kind of disparaging commentary on toxic masculinity one character behaves exactly how you would expect them to behave and 
you just think I can't I can't give it away but basically it tips over tips into one of those places like off the knife's edge and it was such a what's the word that I'm looking for I was I was completely divided in that moment because I was just like you've done exactly what I expected you to and it needed to have happened for this moment but it just completely like it it just it was the whole book brought down to the very like to the tip of like a ballpoint pen almost like it Mm -hmm. was all just zoomed in on this one moment and it happened and it was just like oh fuck I can't believe that I've been kind of disparaging in my thoughts about it but I've needed this to happen. Everyone has needed this moment to happen and thank yeah. fuck it has. Yeah, I know exactly which moment you're talking about. The other thing that I was thinking about after I read the book was like, like how how wonderful Mungo is and how sweet and generous and kind. And and then you realise that because of, because of his situation, he is forced to endure and perpetrate mm-hmm. terrible things. Like it's like some of the worst things that you can imagine happen to Mungo and are perpetrated by Mungo. And yeah. it's the situation that puts him there. It's not, it's just yeah. when you think about it, the stuff that he has to go through and that he has to do, it's ridiculous that Mungo as a person yes. is doing those things. It just doesn't make exactly. sense. Yeah. But it's just the situation that they're in. Um, do you have any quotes then, Sazi Waz? Yep, so this is taken from just before halfway through and I'll try, I'll give a little bit of context. Basically, Jodie and Mungo um, have overheard their neighbour who lives in the flat beneath them and is like sort of this, sort of a motherly figure to them in some, or a grandmotherly figure to them in some respects. she's cute. Um, Yeah, they they overhear her husband kicking the shit out of her, essentially, and they in a really sweet but just devastating moment try and intervene with you know these two teenage kids Mm. um and it's a match day between Celtic and Rangers isn't it yeah yeah and I won't read the bits in between but I'll just read she's called Mrs Campbell and I won't do a Glasgow accent um (laughs) I'll just read I'll just read the quotes in space so basically they the kids try and intervene um, and it's just painful. All of it is absolutely painful because there's the urgency that they must do something, but also the complete hopelessness because what are these two children that have also been knocked about yeah. ever going to be able to achieve? Mm. Anyway, um, Mrs. Campbell says, oh, I need to not cry. <laughs> You're too wee to know anything about men and their anger. Every day for 27 years, that man went to the shipyards. Girders as big as corporation buses flying around on chains, a ton weight of steel dangling above his head. He'd, and at any minute, it could have dropped and killed him and left me with nothing but three weans and a divot in the mattress. And he knew it. All those men knew it. Some of the men used to drink six, seven pints of lager at lunchtime. They only had an hour and yet they'd neck one pint after the other. I heard the barman would spend all morning pouring them and he would line hunters, thousands of pints up along the bar so that men could just grab it and drown themselves as soon as the lunch bell rang. Oh, when they ran for it. Does that sound like happy men to you? When our Graham would come home, when we would sit down at dinner time, I would ask him how his day was and all he would say was, I, fine, I, no bad, I, it was all right. So I would just start wittering on about so-and-so and and her new fancy man or how Mary McClure didn't like the new minister. Imagine all that fear and disappointment clogged up in there and nobody stopped to ask him about it, to ask if he was happy in his life, if he was coping. None of the men could tell you how they really felt because if they did, they would weep and this fucking city is damp enough. Oh, and then... And what did they get for all their troubles, eh? They got laid off by some suit-wearing snobs in Westminster who couldn't find Glasgow on a map, who didn't give a flying fuck if the men had families to feed... They get told that they're the problem with this country, that they're holding back progress because they're not afraid of hard work. Then some uppity ginger bitch decides that that's the end of them with the stroke of her fountain pen. Done, finito, kaput. (sighs) Wow. And that's heartbreaking as well because Mrs. Campbell's basically justifying why he's a domestic abuser. Yeah, exactly. And that just gives you the whole, exactly what we were saying about where do these people turn to? Yeah. (laughs) What do they have? What escape do they have? Exactly. And it's just like, yeah, what do, what do you want us to fucking do about it? What do you yeah. want us to do about it? Yeah. He's beating the shit think... out of us. I've got no other option. 
yeah and did he did he ever have another option do you and then that's and then that line finishes with sorry i know i've just finished the quote but then um so she basically the kids have got her out the flat and she's about to head back to the flat and jody tries to stop her and then she goes i've known you since you were in nappies and i've known that selfish mother of yours even longer if anybody should understand making excuses for the person they love then it's you too can you not forgive me that oh and it is it's just about people being in love with each other and not <laughs> yeah and and not taking um po- you know politicians making decisions based on what like not understanding exactly. communities and not no wonder it always turns to shit uh like this quote about is it the west end of glasgow that's the, the posh bit yeah yeah so it's the university so the students will come to the university and this quote every plum season the english arrived in their mother's battered volkswagens all the better not to flaunt their wealth the good mercedes was simply too much for the north they slouched down the great western road in balding corduroys and waxed barber jackets. Barber jackets are from South Shields, I'll have you know. <laughs> Their hair was artfully unbrushed. An old Proust was dog-eared and protruding. How do you say that word? Proust? Proust, I would have said. But isn't that like know. that? Isn't he like oh, a, the Proust. The yeah, author, yeah. Proust. I said in, Proust. <laughs> in search of lost time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Proust. Proust. I was just saying it in Scottish. Yeah was dog-eared and protruding conspicuously from the flap of a canvas bag. They were dressed for shooting grouse in Aberdeenshire. And it's like all these basically yuppies who are coming to Glasgow and don't understand anything about what it's like. And also I just like that quote because they're reading for tension. And it's called Plum Season because um, that's when Hamish's older brother likes to deal drugs to them in like September because they're yes. still ripe and they've not been they've not been ruined by sucking up too much of Glasgow's toxicity by that point. <laughs> they call it Plum Season. Yeah, love that. Ripe for the picking. Um, I mean, the whole book was a great quote. Should we just read the whole book out? <laughs> I just can't wrap my head around it. I I really just thought it was absolutely perfect. Obviously devastating. Yeah, tragic. For anyone that is really nervous and or there's like any kind of anticipation, like negative anticipation about reading this book that maybe you don't want to. What's the word I'm looking for? Trepidation. Trepidation. Apprehension. Apprehension. That's it. If you're apprehensive about this book because of Shuggy Bane, trust me, it's still fucking heartbreaking, but it's it feel it's still feels really fucking necessary and like this is a story mungo's story is a story that deserves to be told and listened to and i'm going to be cryptic about this but there are a lot of parallel narratives in Mm. young mungo one of which is bad one of which is not so bad usually and authors are really trying to get away from the tragic queer narrative trope so just bear that in mind and I'll talk quickly about what I was going to tell you before. Yeah. So, as you may or may not have seen, the UK cover of Young Mungo, it's different from the American cover because uh, let's not talk about... Um, Do the Americans not get the hot steamy kiss cover? No, babe. Oh, really? Oh, sorry. Again, American fans, you should order it from the UK. I'm going to go ahead and say that that's some homophobia oh god absolutely i'm sure um so i'm sure if you are uk based you will have seen this cover and it is wolfgang um oh my god what's his surname wolfgang wolfgang amadeus mozart (laughs) not quite babe wolfgang tillman it's his picture Oh. 2002 taken at the cock on Tottenham Court Road and this picture was taken in 2002 on a night out and then it recently not recently but it circulated just oh. after the mass shooting in Orlando in oh, that really? gay nightclub and because apparently like allegedly the gunman flew into a fit of rage and began killing everybody after seeing two men kiss so then it became a viral trend after um this mass shooting to share pictures of men kissing Uh. this was one of the pictures that was shared and as much as we just thirsted over this picture because it is it's really hot 
Yeah. Uh, I think it's, again, perfect. Everything about this book is perfect. But that choice of that, like, enraging, illicit, completely unaccepted love being the the core of this book and obviously the main relationship is between James and Mungo but then certain things happen throughout especially as well at the end that prove that this this love no matter how much people try and refuse to accept it still permeates these characters and everything that they do and like their actions and I think this is what I mean when I talk about the characters as being as as doing unforgivable things but still being forgive like forgiven because they are ultimately drived by this family driven drove driven (laughs) by this family i like drived drived and this yeah this like almost unspeakable love like they can't reference it they can't think about it but everything they do is because of it i'm I'm just looking at wolfgang tillman's that's he did frank oceans um... amazing can't find the cock though I really want to go. <laughs> Maybe I'll go and then they'll take a picture of me getting with Michael and then I'll be on a famous book cover. Can it not be me getting with you? Yeah, three-way snoggos. Remember when they used to do that on Big Brother? Yes, in the hot tub. Three-way snogs. I've never done that before. I've had a three-way snog. Um, Email yeah. us at readingforattention at gmail.com if you've ever had a three-way snog. <laughs> <laughs> uh, nice. Right, that's enough. We love you, Douglas. You are special. I'm going to read Shuggy Bane, but I'm going to have to give it a little while because if that's way more heartbreaking, then I don't know if my little heart will take it. it it's more heartbreaking in like the a little life sense. Oh, God. A bit unrelenting. Oh, a little life. A little fucking life. No, 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 no. A little life, a big no-no. A big, and it was a big life. It was a bloody big life. Big as fuck. Is there any gays in Shuggy Bean? Yeah. Shuggy's a little gay Wait, wait, maybe I'll edit that because that could be a spoiler. Oh. No, it's not. Shuggy. (laughs) Okay. Love you, Dougie. Shuggy Dougie. Love, Love you. Read this bloody book. Yeah, read it, everyone. Have you re- finished Selling Sunset yet? <laughs> no, I've got three episodes in. And do you know what, Paul? What? Not once has Heather gone, What? <laughs> <laughs> yes, she has, man. She's not. You I'm know what? I'm going to fucking find it. Okay. Do you know what I cannot stand already? What? Chrishell and Jason Oppenheim. So, I'm here to report. Yes. I've now seen all of it. You. You're absolutely right. They do show the end of the relationship. Right. And it's really heartbreaking. So it's exactly oh. what you said you didn't want it to be. And I was like, they wouldn't even have filmed that. They have filmed it and it's actually really heartbreaking. I know it's reality TV, but what Chriselle goes through, you can't help but feel empathy. It's it's really hard. I don't know if you know yeah. the details of what happened, but No, I, do, I know why they ended, but I don't know anything. Yeah, the, there were some details that I was really shocked about that Oh, okay. Cagey here, but yeah, I mean, as we know, it's to do with children basically. But Chriselle's 40, Jason, is she? Yeah, I'm kidding. She looks, I know this is like you shouldn't say someone looks fantastic just because they look young, but she looks fucking great because <laughs> she looks young because she looks young. No, uh, so and Jason's like the eternal bachelor, but it looks like they're gonna anyway, you'll see. Right. But you were absolutely right, and I felt a little bit bad for trash talking Chriselle, even though I don't oh. feel like I still, you know, I still still something about her that I, maybe it's that I want her to like me I don't know yeah no that's what I want everyone to like me what I will say and this is <laughs> I'm not averse adverse averse I always get I'm never I don't commit fully to the D so that you can't tell if I've got it I'm not averse <laughs> <laughs> that's it <laughs> I'll just slur over it, it. is averse but there is, a, there is a word that's adverse, isn't it? Like adversity. I'm not averse to yeah. adversity. Yeah. Adverse is preventing successful development, harmful, unfavorable. Averse is having a strong dislike. Right. Okay. I'm not averse. Maybe to... you're averse. 
I think I'm verse. Yeah. Um, to height differences. I think they're great. Especially because, you know, Tom Holland and Zendaya have really shifted that narrative. Everyone is standing a short king now. And I think that's great. However, <laughs> it just looks like Chriselle is going out with a small boy. <laughs> I love how we're just so like a massive talk about masculinity. And <laughs> It's not that, but he just he just looks like her child, and it's not. I don't think it would be. I think I don't think it would be the same in every relationship that he's in. But just him and her for some reason seem so mismatched. Yeah, is this do. really really problematic? What I'm I saying. I don't care. I we've done we're woke bit. Now we can just be normal. This is, is it- we're proving the point. We're proving the point that people don't live by what they preach, and that's yeah, fine. Exactly. I'm fine with it. Okay, I just I th- really think, like, for instance, no, 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 I can't say that either. I think because <laughs> the women on Selling Sunset are very, like, they're obviously all stunning, but mature. And there's just something childlike about him. Do you know what I, bet, do you know what I think it is? I think it's the fact that he hangs out with his identical twin bro- brother, non-fucking stop. There's something quite juvenile in that. And then he's just got this full-grown woman following him around as well. And... <laughs> I wasn't, it wasn't doing much for me. No, keep at it though. It's, uh, don't just say no like that and make me out to be the fucking Molly May. <laughs> well, you, you, you know, I call you Molly May after this podcast, Molly May Hopkins. Um, my mom used to go to school with this girl called Maeve Margaret Malone, and she used to go. And I, now I was thinking about this the other day about this woman because I don't think I've fully appreciated how like radical it probably was to do this in this the late 50s early 60s uh-huh. she used to go at the boys and go my name's Maeve Margaret Malone but you can call me mm. <laughs> oh. in that class <laughs> in a catholic school like really straight laced whoa bits I'm gonna call no no I'm gonna end that all there <laughs> you end it there yeah um I don't think we can talk about science sunset for too long on this podcast no 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 but I just yeah. wanted to you were right. What I will say is that I watched something else on Netflix uh, the other day called 365 Days, 365 Days, something, something. Oh, that's great. It was just porn. Oh, yeah, solid porn. No dialogue. I think the script. In total, for an hour and a half film, was one hour thirty minutes, and I think the script will have been twenty pages or less. It was honestly quite like revolutionary how little and and also it was. I mean, I didn't really watch it because I was also working from home, um, so it was just on in the background. So just people just shagging in the background, but everyone was stunning, loads of sex, no plot, and I was like, surely this isn't a film. This can't be a thing. Turns out there's a one another one it. yeah because yeah. <laughs> this is what i saw it and it was number one and then the n- other one was number four and i was just like it's just like mucky people you know yeah that's I, all we care about is smut. i know i know and it's so i watched it because it was like out today or like new and number one trending or whatever so i was like yeah go on so if you want up for some very heterosexual i'm afraid but um hot Don't people mind. just shagging and yachts with like oh yeah I love yeah. yachts now that I watch Below Deck. I'm going to watch it. Um, I just need a quick wee and then... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <sighs> Paul's just messaged me saying, turned into a poo, Soz. <laughs> okay, Paul. Next week, we're going to be reading My Evil Mother, a short story by Margaret Atwood. I'll read the first line of this bio. Life is hard enough for a teenage girl in 1950s suburbia without having a mother who may or may not be a witch. Ooh. And for the drink, my mother is not evil at all. She's anti-evil. She's a babe. She's a complete babe. But it's just got mother in it, so I'm thinking of her. And her fave drink is... A lovely, dry, 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 cold, 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 Sauvignon Blanc. Shall we have a little Sauvy B? Shall we have a Sauvy, Sauvy, B, B, B 
that's so Chrissy, for Chrissy ideal N. for Chrissy N. Chrissy oh, N. Newton. Yes. Yes. Little Sauvignon Blanc. She should we get like... a New Zealand one because that's the one that everyone's uh, that's supposed to be the nicest one. So yeah, she. I can't remember if she. <gasps> no, she. Oh my god, she fucking likes South African or Chilean. Is it? Remember mm. when we were in that bar in South African in oh, Soho, and she was like asking whether the Sauvignon Blanc was Chilean or New Zealand or something. Anyway, we need a, yeah, whichever one she likes I'll the best. Her now. Yeah, let me just quickly message her. Just ring her. Oh yeah. People do this on podcasts. Oh my god, we're getting we're getting so good at it. If she hears me now, it's embarrassing. <laughs> oh, hang on. Hello. Hi, hearing. Yeah, you're late. I know, but you're on the podcast. I am. Yeah. Oh God, why? Because <laughs> I just need to ask you a quick question. Okay. Is it South African Sauvignon Blanc that you like? Or New Zealand? New Zealand. New Zealand. I don't like South African. South African's awful. Right. That's all I needed to know. I'll speak to you tomorrow. Okay. <laughs> Cheers. Bye. Love you. Bye. Bye. You. Bye. Can she hear me? Have you got earphones in? No, she probably could. Oh, I should have spoke to her. Yeah, you should have. <laughs> um, God, that was like I was on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire with Chris Tarrant. <laughs> you know, so Chris Tarrant used to do that. <laughs> Yeah, you know what? I've just realised I'm gonna dodgy my mum. What does that mean? Dodgy, like prank call. Shall I speak? Oh my god! Shall I pretend that I'm? What shall I say? Who shall be? I'll say it's um Carol, and you say you're Patricia. Hello. Hello. This is Carol speaking. Hello. (laughs) Carol. Hey, Hey, this is Patricia. Because I didn't want you to know it was me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay, bye. I started trying to get involved in that conversation and then at the last minute it's all your big fat headphones. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a fucking pilot headphones on. <laughs> um, right, so what did my mum say then? She said she liked New Zealand. And that, right, okay. and that South African was awful. Awful. Uh, fabulous New Zealand Savvy B New ZZ Savvy B For Chrissy's For Mummy C Mummy C yeah. uh, Fabulous, well looking forward to it And just full disclosure The reason we're doing a short story Is number one, because Margaret Atwood's just released it So I'm sure it'll be very good Number mm-hmm. two, it's because we're fucking trying desperately To catch up on episodes Because we're still doing week to week Although it seems to be working alright uh, Fabulous, well looking forward to that And Me too Pleasure as always. Yeah. Um, thank you, Paul Webb. Thank you, Douglas Stewart. Thank you, Young Mung. Thank you, Sarah Hopkins. Thank you, Christine Newton. Thank you, Mary Picken. <laughs> Good night. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.